Okay, we're, we're good. Thank you. All right, 2 Samuel 22, and I want us to begin at verse 8. We're going to read through verse 20, and then I'll come back and make some observations. Before we get to the text, let me say a couple of things. Remember, we're in a study of the songs of Samuel, and we've seen a number of songs from godly, faithful, trusting saints uh, about God's presence and activity in their lives. As we get to Psalm 20, or sec, or to 2 Samuel 22, we're looking at a psalm of victory where David ascribes uh, his success in battle to the Lord, all caps, to the covenant God of Israel. And even though, as I said last week, he was a man of war, uh, he had fought the bear, the lion, the giant successfully, he did so enabled by God. And let me pause and ask you a question. Have there been times in your life when you know your uh, your performance exceeded your ability? There have been uh, a number of times in my life. Uh, for instance, and I, I'm, I'm not a regular golfer any longer. I used to golf in a, in a league in Nebraska when I was pastoring there. But there was one particular time when I uh, teed off on the first hole of the night and I knew that wasn't me swinging the club because the ball went where normally it doesn't go, uh, which would be the left side of the fairway. Um, There are times when I'm doing a building project and I know that God has expedited the process of the building, that everything went together beyond my ability as a carpenter. There are times in your life, I'm hearing some of you say, yes, God has enabled me to be, uh, to do better than my skill level. That's what David is saying here in terms of his military experience. Even though he was a courageous warrior, and um, he would be perhaps the top of his class with Jonathan in terms of trusting God in uh, military situations. Um, But maybe not the biggest person on the field, maybe not the fastest, maybe not the strongest. David was enabled to succeed because of God. And that's what he's singing about in this song of victory. Uh, I raised the question of post-traumatic stress disorder last week, and we don't see any of of that residue in David's writing. But did the man have it? Oh, we, we would almost have to believe this guy, because of the multiple experiences in battle, uh, most certainly had nightmares about this thing that happened, or or. Uh, that particular uh, military excursion and and, uh, the atrocities that were committed. We also remember that the scripture says that David got weary in battle. 2 Samuel 21, 15 to 17. And his weariness made him vulnerable in his fighting against the Philistines. So do you know what his men did? 
They said, David, you're not going out into, into the battle any longer with us. Uh, you are the lamp of the Lord for Israel. And we will not risk the chance of our lamp going out. Now, we'll talk about that lamp concept um, perhaps in this study, but probably also in the next study. Okay, so that's all by way of introduction to 2 Samuel 22. And just follow along as I read from the English Standard uh, Version, verses 8. Actually, I'm going to start in 7, and I'll go down through 20. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Brother and sister, when you cry, when you call to God, his ear is attentive to your voice, to your heart, to your passion as you speak to him. When uh, the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. And it's as if David is saying, all of creation is responding to the passion that God feels. God is roused at my cry. He's, He's preparing to move and to act in my behalf. And all creation uh, is at his beck and call. Smoke went up from his nostrils. Now this is figurative. Uh, Devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens. Oh wow, isn't this good stuff? This is great literature. Uh, This is David uh, at his best in composition and came down. God bowed the heavens and came down. What does that mean? Bowed the heavens. He says opened in this version. Okay, so yeah, I think he's he's splitting the heavens, if, if you will, to make his entrance to earth. He's in such an exalted place that heaven has to bow or open itself for God to move, okay? Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. Who else pictures God on cherubs? Ezekiel, chapter 1. The Ark of the Covenant has what? A cherub on each end, right? Okay, so cherubs uh, are the accompanying angels of God's presence, we might say. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. Oh my goodness. Have you, uh, Nebraska has great thunderstorms. There was a time I was uh, uh, chauffeuring a Spanish pastor who was conducting uh, Spanish ministries in our church to another place for a, a minist- uh, for a, an evening of, of meetings. And the sky of Nebraska just split open. You know, it, it's the kind of lightning that goes clean across the sky. Uh, the whole sky lit up. It wasn't just here, and it wasn't just there. It just spanned uh, the whole sky. Just amazing. Uh, that is something of what 
uh, David is saying here. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Every secret place, all of the intricacies of the created world are at God's call. Everything shudders. Everything moves. Everything responds when God calls. Wow. And David says, that's been my experience. When I called to him, It was like God was moving heaven and earth to help me. Now, remember the concept of theodicy. And it comes from two Greek words. which would be Theos, God, and uh, Decay, which is righteousness. So we're talking about the God-righteousness of sovereign acts in life over his creation, over the people that he's created. And theodicy uh, is not a promise that God always shows up. But it is a promise that eventually everything will be made right. That God is a God of justice and everybody is accountable to God. So sometimes uh, we take a a statement from the scripture, uh, perhaps what we would consider to be a promise for us. The Holy Spirit impresses it upon our lives and we say, that's for me. And I'm going to trust God for that statement all the way through my life. And then it seems as though God doesn't come through because we've claimed a statement. But maybe allowing us not to see him come to our aid is, as David sang today, mercies in disguise, where God is asking us, to continue to trust even when he doesn't show up the way we want him to show up. In other words, who's going to be God? Are you going to tell God what he's supposed to do or are you going to allow God to be God in your life and and be God in the way that he wants to be God in your life and chooses to be? This is one of those places where non-Christians rail against us Christians because we're great with God as long as God is blessing us and we don't have problems and our kids are walking with the Lord and then work is great and and all of those things but man when we encounter problems and it seems like God is nowhere to be found we fall apart and uh, they are right to criticize us in those situations No, we are a people of faith. And and as I said at the end of of our uh, class last week, we walk by faith, not by sight. God can choose to be righteous right now and make everything just, or he may choose to wait. And we need to be okay with that.
Okay, that was an aside. Um, did I get down to verse 20? No. Let's go back to 17. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of the many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. When have you heard a strong man ever admit that somebody else was stronger? Here is a mighty warrior saying, I've encountered that. I know there are better warriors. There are stronger warriors out there than myself. But they don't have my God. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to give me success against my strong enemies. They, comf- uh, they comforted or they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And that's the point of David's life. God took delight in this man. Why? We don't know. Why did God take delight in you? Why did God rescue you from yourself and from sin and the world and the devil? I mean, you're a handsome group of people, but it wasn't because of our good looks, was it? Okay. God has mercy on whom he has mercy, Paul says. And thank him that we are his objects of mercy. David was that. David was God's object of mercy. In fact, David was God's object of destiny. Okay, I probably ought to go to the next slide, don't you think? Um, so he's, he's describing natural phenomena accompanying God's actions in his behalf. Um, he met, uh, God metaphorically moved mountains, says Bergen, to respond to the king's petition. There are times when you know God has done something to clear your path. And what, what can we do but to pull off the side of the road if we're traveling and just say, thanks, God. Thanks for clearing my path. There are times we know we know that there was an obstruction uh, or there was an accident or there was a critical thing that took place. And if we had gotten out the door when we wanted to, we would have been right in the middle of that. Um, in biblical accounts of God's deliverance and self-revelation, he has used natural phenomena like fire, like smoke, like lightning and thunder. Think about Exodus 19, when the children of Israel are at, at Mount Sinai, and God is um, demonstrating his presence on the top of Sinai with lightning and fire and smoke and, and earthquakes. Think about him using hornets to drive out some of the Canaanites when Joshua and Israel entered the land of Canaan. Think about those times, uh, two times specifically, that the Old Testament records for us of God extending the day. 
so that Israel could have victory and prevail over her enemies? God does those kinds of things. And he has done something like that for you and for me. And it's time to get out our composition books and write a song of praise. That's what David did. Fred? Uh, Ken, in all this, I am somewhat troubled by uh, David's statements in verses uh, 20 through um, uh, 24, 25, where he says, um, I have kept the ways, I have not turned. I have followed all his regulations, never abandoned his, I am blameless, I have kept myself from sin. It, it seems to me that he is, that nobody is that perfect. And um, how do you fit all this into the experience which we feel, and uh, we, we know he was not perfect in many ways. What? What is he saying in these verses? Is, okay. Is, is there some theological problem with David here? No. No theological problems with David. I, none. Zippo. Uh, zilch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and let me repeat your question for the sake of the recording, because I don't know that re- the recording picked you up. So Fred is asking about David's what appears to be self-righteousness and crediting God's help in his life because of his righteousness. Um Remember what Paul said. According to the law, I was blameless. Do we hold that against Paul? No. What we understand is that he was a legalist before he became a Christian, uh, before he became a follower of Christ. I don't believe David is saying that it's because of his righteousness God uh, responded to his cry, but he is righteous because God is his God, and God has chosen to respond to him. Now, there's a relationship here, a heart relationship with God, that is demonstrated in outward righteousness, in uh, in proper worship, uh, in proper devotion, in keeping vows, and and so forth. Um, So I would prefer to understand David that way. just as I think Paul could say with all good conscience um, he was a a Hebrew of the Hebrews according to the law blameless Uh, a a Pharisee of the Pharisees he was the head of his class in terms of biblical study and understanding Um, but God didn't choose Paul because of his rabbinical well yeah, yeah studies or because of his legal studies. God chose Paul because Paul was a man who would be after God's heart and do all that God asked him to do. And so when Paul was converted, God told him what? You're going to take my name before kings and you're going to suffer many things for me. And uh, God had uh, destined Paul that way. He chose him for that reason. I think the same thing is true with David. Um, I I wouldn't at all fault his theology here. I think what he's saying is my relationship with God is such, I don't understand it completely, but uh, somehow he has decided to work in my behalf for his glory and for his purpose, and I'm a happy puppet 
in the hands of the puppeteer. I'm I'm happy to do that. Happy to be there. Can, yes. Oh, that, that would be a simple way to say it, wouldn't it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for rescuing me. Yes, God's righteousness in him. Okay, so the world and its natural elements are at God's disposal. Yes, Glenn. He didn't think himself blameless because in verse 24 he said, I have killed myself from my iniquity. Okay. So he acknowledges his own iniquity. Yes. Yes, and, and of course, in our minds, of course, we, we can think about the adultery, we can think about the pride and the census and so forth. David was a flawed man, but he was a redeemed man. Yes, thank you. And this was written before that time anyway. Uh, Not that he was perfect before this, but I think this was written. Before the, yeah, before the census, I believe, yes. Uh, it could be. It could. It could well have been written before the adultery. Okay. So the the major principle here, here is that the world and its natural elements are at God's disposal to unnerve and to defeat His enemies and thereby deliver His servant or servants. So uh, another principle is the the Lord delivers His own with earth. uh, earth-jarring power. In other words, sometimes we like to think that when armies go into battle, God is favoring one side, God is favoring the other side. Actually, God is sovereign over all. And uh, he will elevate and he will subjugate. He will give, you know, power and prominence and victory and, and he will give defeat. Uh, God is at work on both sides of the battle line. So what? Dick? Go back and, and say, uh, why did God choose David in the first place? He was a man whose heart was after his, like, I don't remember how it goes. Yes, yes. But he had a heart toward, towards God. He's in other yes. words, God, in this case, I think, God is rewarding obedience. Okay, and so we see that in the way he deals with um, the death of Abner, in the way that he deals with the death of the uh, the assassins of Mephibosheth. Uh, he's a man of justice. He's a man of right and wrong. Uh, he fears God in the way that he would not harm Saul, even though he had been anointed to replace Saul. So yes, uh, all of that, I think, we need to keep in in our minds as we consider what David is saying here. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I think also we need to still remember this is poetry. Yeah, that there's not a literalism sometimes in, in poetic writing, and I think David is representative of of the kingdom. So I'm not even certain that he's saying specifically I'm talking about my sin my you know it could be but I think that we try to take it too literally that this is a song this is a worship and if you read any lyrics of any worship song uh, it sounds personal 
but oftentimes it's written on behalf of the congregation. Yes, good point. Um, so let's keep in mind the figurative nature of it. Um, yes, Mike? I think too, so I went ahead and, <laughs> and um, maybe that's cheating, but it feels like we're, we're taking some scenes out of the movie and talking about scenes, but not looking at the whole. Okay. And there's a whole lot of psalm left, too, where David turns and gives it all back to God. Yes, yes. I, I think we're going to move forward. Yes. <laughs> The enemies of God's people are petty opponents to the Lord. Now, they may look big, bad, and ugly to us, but they're petty opponents to God. The only question is whether or not God will act. And are we going to be okay with if he does or if he doesn't? Those are the questions. All right, let's read uh, 20 through 33. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. And I may also just come back and say, uh, David had a pure relationship with God. He wasn't a perfect man, but his heart relationship to God Uh, was without blemish. Not his personal life, not his, his public life, but his spiritual life with God was sincere and real. I think that is part of his, uh, his uh, statement here. I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. He had never entertained another God. Now, I'm thinking of a passage where uh, he and McCall hide a a teraphim in the bed to look like David, and David gets out. uh, I just have to believe that that wasn't David's personal God, that it was part of of, uh, some other... uh, uh, It took took the place of something in their lives, but I don't think it was God. Okay? But they had them there apparently I was blameless before him uh, for all his rules were before me from his statutes I did not turn aside I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness uh, to my cleanness in his sight with the merciful notice this notice this verses 26 and 27 with the merciful you show yourself merciful With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Or maybe your translation reads astute. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The the word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. 
For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. So, He gives God full credit, doesn't he? And he'll do even the dangerous because he knows God is enabling him in the battle. I mean, who's going to jump over a wall without knowing what's on the other side? Yes? No? Okay. Cindy, did you did you have a... Okay, I thought I... I So God proves himself faithful to the servant who is loyal and trusting. An untrusting and disloyal servant should not expect God to come to his aid. Um, God has a relationship with all of his creatures. And I alluded to this earlier. This includes those who own his right to govern their lives as well as those who do not. David had observed the ways of the Most High for many years. He had noticed his treatment of the kind and the crude, the pure as well as the devious. And he concluded that God's ways with us are to be trusted, says Barber. Okay, so here's an application. If God always came through with deliverance, would the saint be compelled to trust? If every time you cried out to God, he did exactly what you wanted him to do, would you trust him? Or would you just snap your fingers and say, come on, God? It would depend on uh, whatever happened. If if God did what I wanted and it turned out wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would not want a God like that. Thank you. I would want a God that's going to do it his way despite my resistance. Let me ask another question. If God always came through with deliverance, um, wouldn't their relationship be shallow? Isn't there an element of unqualified acceptance in our faith? Unqualified acceptance. Not if God does it my way, but unqualified acceptance in our faith, whereby we trust for deliverance, but we leave the matter to God's discretion. Yes. Yes. So God himself delivers his loyal, trusting servant at his own discretion. Not at ours. And again, our unbelieving friends and family members don't get this. They don't get it when we are okay with God not coming through for us to make life, you know, super nice and comfortable for us. To, you know, smooth out all of the issues and not have any stress and and conflict. Uh, And they'll ask us, "How how can you be faithful to a God who lets all of these bad things happen in your life? Well, that shows a a shallowness of a relationship with the living, eternal, uh, sovereign God, right? Just as an example, in my own life, 
first seven years of my career, I had a boss who was very good at making my life miserable, <laughs> while my friends had mentors who were forbearing and uh, helped them along the way. And I would cry out to God and say, Lord, why couldn't you give me that? But, you know, looking back, it was very important that he used that man to uh, uh, do a work in my life that a kind mentor would not have done. There are seasons in our lives where we are on a fast track of learning. And there are other seasons in our lives where maybe we've learned the lessons and God allows us to enjoy uh, in our maturity uh, some of those things that we've learned. Um, <coughs> what I find difficult is coming into maturity and God still asking me to learn lessons and trust. <laughs> yes, six uh, Yeah, I have the same feeling too. Realize that it doesn't matter what our age is, at any point we think we've arrived, I don't need to learn anything else. That's a dangerous place to be in. So I'd rather say, yeah, what else can I learn today, Lord? <laughs> yes, he's the teacher, isn't he? Now my grandchildren are teaching me. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, Linda? I was going to say, could we say that God always comes through in spite of us, not because of us? Yes. And in his time. Yes. yes. Okay, let's pray. Father, we walk with you. Our hand we place specifically in your hand. And we ask you uh, for the mercy that you give us to continue uh, to guide our lives, to work in us for your glory, for our good, that we might be Christ-like and that you might be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.